How can we grow thriving creative businesses without constantly hustling, sacrificing our mind, body, and creativity, or living a life where the fear of where the next client or customer will come from keeps us up at night or disconnected from our family, friends, and passions? This show is going to answer those questions. My name is Naftali Roberts, and I specialize in helping true creatives like yourself grow simple, strategic, and thriving creative businesses. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's jump on in. Guys, you are going to love, just like I do, our guests today. Our amazing guest is a woman who I met recently in a Facebook community as she talked about how she has taken an untraditional path to having a thriving creative business. She didn't start out as an artist. She didn't start out as a maker. She started out doing what many of us do, which is taking the practical path and then making some massive changes in her life when she realized that there are some things she would rather be doing. There were parts about her career that she loved, but there was also other things that she really wanted to do. So when I met our guest today, Gabby Abrams, I knew that I needed to have her on the show and I knew I needed to get her amazing story out to y'all because right now we have a lot going on in our world and I know that there are a lot of you who are trying to figure out what new thing am I going to do in this time and space in history? Am I going to try to start an Etsy store to sell some of the things that I've been just making as a hobby? Am I going to try to take this time where I am working out of the office to start a side hustle? What am I going to do? And so this interview was scheduled for a little bit farther into the summer. And I was like, nope, we need to get it out. So sit back, grab some coffee, grab some wine, take a walk and listen today about a path that one thriving creative has taken. And as you listen, start to think about actionable ways that you can start to take an untraditional path to starting a business that you've always dreamed of or maybe wondered if it was possible and take the courage that you find in today's episode and let's jump on in. Let's get you going on that. Because it is possible, and today I want you to remember that others have gone before you and done it and are doing it, and it is possible to for you to do that as well. So sit back, and I can't wait to hear how much you love Gabby. I am so excited to have you here today. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and about the company that you run. All right. My name is Gabby Abrams and I am a former lawyer turned creative. I started my invitation and design business in 2015 when I was on maternity leave with my first son, Levi, and I've been doing it ever since. So five years now. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Lawyer <laughs> to creative business owner. Talk to me about that because I think people hear that. They're like, what? How does that work? So mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about what was that journey and you know, how did all those different parts of you fit together to kind of end up in this place you're at now? Yes. So that is an interesting trajectory, right? Like it's not Mm -hmm. something that you see every day because lawyers are known to be very like right-brained, right? And and logical and there's a certain way to do things. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the case. I think that there are a lot more frustrated creative lawyers than people think because Mm. it's a path Mm -hmm. that like a lot of people follow initially because they like writing, they like reading, they like Mm -hmm. thinking outside the box, right? So much of it is Mm -hmm. logic. And there is certainly like a creative element to thinking logically, I think. Yes. Um, And then I think that it's like the years as a lawyer that kind of like beat you down and like the years (laughs) of like reviewing documents and all that stuff that makes people think of lawyers as not creative. But I think Mm -hmm. a lot more lawyers identify as being creative when they initially start than people think. Yeah, I would not have necessarily guessed that lawyers are creative, but then I start to think about all the lawyers I know that are still doing it, and they're highly creative people. And yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so you go to law school, (laughs) you invest a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot lot of money, a lot of money, a lot of probably like some sweat and tears. When did you decide maybe this isn't for me? So, you know, I don't know if I ever really, I I really enjoyed law school. I think I'm one of the few people who really enjoyed it. And Mm -hmm. I always went in with the idea that I wanted to do something. I I didn't want to work at a law firm. I didn't want to do the traditional law job, Mm -hmm. working at a a, a big law or even like a mid-sized firm, even the small firm. I always really liked public interest stuff. And in law Mm -hmm. school, I did a lot of public interest advocacy. So I worked for a healthcare clinic that was part of the law school. And I really loved that. So that was what I was always interested in doing. I worked with disabled children, getting them benefits. And and I really, really enjoyed that a lot. That's what Mm -hmm. I spent my time in law school doing. Then when I graduated, my husband got a job. Well, he was my boyfriend back then or my fiance got a job in New York City and we found ourselves in New York City mm. and and I think that that was like more when I realized that I didn't want to necessarily be like a New York lawyer you mm. know it was like a different ball game out there you know like people mm. work their whole lives to be a lawyer in New York City right this is like mm. what you what a lot of people aspire to so I ended up working in immigration law when I was in New York City And I felt like that was going to be kind of like what I had enjoyed in law school. And, and I didn't really find that that was the case, you know, Mm. it was a lot of forms and it was a lot of, I felt like even when you did help people, like there was so much else going on Mm -hmm. behind the scenes that like, it wasn't the kind of like really gratifying help that you kind of envisioned. And then that impact that you wanted to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit. And then when I had my son Levi, I, you know, was on my leave and then mm-hmm. just wanted something to kind of like extend my leave a little bit. I was like, you know, if I make a little bit of money and pay back my students, <laughs> so I can make my student loan payment, yeah. um, that'll be great. And, and then it really like took off and kind of snowballed. And then before I knew it, I had been home for a year and my business was successful and taking off. And mm-hmm. then 
you know, before I knew it, I was making, I was like matching what I was making as a lawyer. And I was like, well, this is funner Mm -hmm. and easier. And And then in a lot of ways, I felt like I was like touching more people and making more of an impact with this, you know, because a lot of people like resonated with my story of being a mom who started a business. And just my customers were so great. And everybody was like, this is amazing. Great job. Thank you. I was stressed out about planning this shower and you made it so easy. So it was like really being helpful in little ways that I hadn't envisioned as a previous. So talk to me about what made you decide that this was the creative business that you were going to do. Is it something you had done on the side you were doing as a hobby? What what was that journey? That's really interesting. And that's like something that people always ask me and they always say, you know, did you enjoy, did you always enjoy doing this? Do you have a background in graphic design? And the answer is yes and no, right? I have no, I had no background in graphic design. So I taught myself, but was I always interested in it? Yeah. I always loved paper. I always loved stationery. I always mm-hmm. loved parties and events and mm-hmm. always felt like it was a very fun way to make people feel special. So I always Mm -hmm. connected a lot with that aspect of it. And, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it just kind of was like a natural fit. I had done like some baby shower stuff, some wedding stuff and for my own wedding and my own baby shower. And it's just what I liked. It's funny when I had my, when I was working as a lawyer, I had my boss would always joke and he would always say, you know, you should write on your resume that you're amazing party, an amazing party planner. I would always celebrate everybody's birthday at our firm. And he was like, you know, just write out that this is what you're great at. And so I just kind of like pieced together, like, what am I good at? What do people Mm -hmm. think that I like, what do I really bring to the table? Right. Um, And then just kind of landed on this naturally. So how did you start selling things? How did you go from idea to actually making sales? So I initially thought that I would just open up an Etsy store, right? Because I figured mm-hmm. that that was easy and it was very low risk because it mm-hmm. didn't involve putting myself out there. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to like recruit customers from my current friends and family, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it was like low pressure. Here's what I'm doing. You don't need to buy. I can find customers on my own on Etsy. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was a huge market for it because I had been part of that market, right? Once upon been a time, I had been buying. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, what do I buy on Etsy? This is what I buy. And then, so it just kind of like naturally happened that way where I made one listing and then I waited a month and it was like the ugliest invitation. And actually initially, I, like I said, I had no graphic design background. So I had made it like in PowerPoint. And one <laughs> of my friends was like, hey, like real talk, you can't. Mm-hmm sell anything that you make on PowerPoint, you're going to have to learn like at the very least Photoshop, you know, so I kind of taught myself. And Mm -hmm. then once I sold one, it gave me like the courage to sell more. And then I was actually having a conversation with my dad about it and was like, well, I'm going to, I think while I'm on leave, I'm going to start, you know, an Etsy store and and sell, put some designs. And I thought it would just be a fun way to pass the time Mm because I found that like babies eat, sleep and poop and don't do that much else. So I was like, Oh, this is going to be a fun way to kind of fill the day while the Mm -hmm. baby's napping or just lying there. And, and then he told me about someone that we knew that had started an Etsy store and she had just Mm -hmm. quit her job. It was going so well. She was making like six figures a year. So that kind of, I don't think I would have my Etsy store if I hadn't heard that story Mm -hmm. because it really encouraged me, like just somebody being open, talking about how it's actually possible to be creative and make a living yeah. doing what you love. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. It was so opposite what I had heard my entire life, right? Like mentally I had heard like, you know, I had figured like being an Etsy seller would be making $20,000 a year, like optimistically, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then to hear that like, oh, it's actually possible to make a really good Mm -hmm. living. Yeah. I was blown away. So for you, like it started with like, one, just trying. I love that you're just like, well, I just started. And then, you know, it wasn't great at first. It wasn't even good. Um, yeah. But I started, which was awesome. And then having that like, oh, this is possible mindset. Okay. So do you know who bought your first thing? I do. I do. It was a, so it was <laughs> Like right after gay marriage had been legalized across the U.S. and I was yeah. in New York and it was so great. Everybody was celebrating. I was like, I'm going to make a uh, like gay wedding invitation, you know? So it was like two mm-hmm. grooms. And then the person that bought it was this guy named, I'm not going to say his name, Michael something. I still remember. <laughs> and yeah. so he bought it. He was in Tennessee. He had been with his partner for like 20 something years and they could finally legally get married and he used my invitation so it was really really special that's awesome yeah it was really nice and special it is really nice and special okay so you sell one thing and you're like this is possible Mm -hmm. what were some of the steps and did you have you grown your entire business on etsy or talk to me about kind of the progression i pretty much have um Mm -hmm. i found that I've like gone back and forth and just as a mom and because I do kind of work in the margins of like having, I had my son and then Mm -hmm. I had another son and it was just really the easiest for me because I didn't have to put so much energy into marketing and everything. I could Mm -hmm. just, once I mastered SEO was like set it and forget Mm -hmm. it for the most part. Yeah. Um, So it was very, very passive, my income, which was very nice because I got to be both a hands-on mm-hmm. mom and a successful businesswoman. So it was really has been having like the best of both worlds for the last yeah. five years. It's been mm-hmm. very nice. So I've gone kind of like back and forth and I do, I, I've like grown my Instagram and I've had mm-hmm. some customers from there, but nowhere like Etsy, just because that's the market, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's where people are looking for it. So mm-hmm. I, I hear like a lot of negative stuff about like online marketplaces, but I think that they're so great. I started off selling when I was like eight or nine on eBay, Beanie Babies. And then I sold my old books on Amazon back when Mm -hmm. it was like only books. Yeah. And then college, I would sell all my clothes on eBay. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I'm a big fan of online marketplaces. I think they're great. It's amazing. Okay. So since you have built a six-figure business on an online marketplace like Etsy, What are some of the top two or three tips if someone's listening and they're like, oh, this is possible and I have this idea, how do you really suggest people go about it and start optimizing for kind of sales in that space? My number one thing is just to start like I did, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. just really, and and even if like what you end up, it's so low risk to have Mm -hmm. an online, uh, a store on an online marketplace, right? You don't need the fancy branding to start with. Yeah. That you do maybe if you launch your own website, you don't need, I get a lot of people that like, well, when I, oh, you know, launching, you don't need to launch, just start selling whatever it is that you're going to sell. And then you can tweak as you go and you learn so much Mm -hmm. along the way that you can't really do from the beginning all at once. Mm -hmm. So that's my first piece of advice is just to start. And I say this all, I say that all the time. 
And then the second one is to really focus on all these things are, are based on like search engines. So mm-hmm. just really master thinking like a buyer because you're going to mm-hmm. need to, that's the number one mistake that I see people making with places mm-hmm. like Etsy is that they set it up like their storefront and they want it to look really clean and very pretty and be like a good representation of their brand. And that's just like a fundamental misunderstanding of what Etsy should be because mm-hmm. It's a search mm-hmm. engine. So you need to yeah. just think about what people are searching for and just make sure that your titles and your tags hit all those mm-hmm. points. Yeah. You know? So so it's not so much about the branding, it's about reaching customers in the way that they're searching for you. Oh, I love that. Because yeah, I see that same mistake where people get so anxious about like how they set up their store and it looking perfect and nice. And I'm like, you're not making any sales. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Because people get scared, right? Mm-hmm. That you yeah. are going to put in that work and then not have it pay off or right. mm-hmm. scared about, mm-hmm. you know, like what's stuff comes up too. Like once you think about like, Oh, if I'm really successful, there's like lots of things that you can think about going wrong, you know, and people get fixated on that without yeah. realizing it. Yeah. Have there ever been points in your journey where that's happened for you, where the thoughts have swirled around and you've felt stuck for a period? Yes. So I was in New York when I started my store and then Mm -hmm. I ended up moving down to Miami when I, when my son was like almost, I'll just see, he was like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I had been doing my store for a year and a half. I always measure it by that, by how old he is. And, and I found myself in Miami and I was like, so lost really because Mm. so much of my identity had shifted very very quickly right I had gone from being a lawyer to being a mom to being a business owner and like Mm -hmm. how those three were connected I had no idea Mm. and how those three defined me I had no idea and I was letting myself be defined a lot by like external titles right like was I still a lawyer? Was I now a mom? Was I a businesswoman? What, what was I, you know? So I was very, very stuck. I felt really stuck and I wasn't sure what the next step was. I wanted to invest more into my business. And at that point, I think I was making like $80,000 a year. So you would think it was a no brainer, right? Because Mm -hmm. I was doing what I liked, but there was so much guilt over like mm. leaving a career that I had previously invested in and put time and energy into and guilt about and fear that like at the end of the day, I really wasn't a business owner. I was also just a mom and mm. just so much, so much. Money. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I started, so I started working with a coach and that was like so helpful. Yeah. What were some of the things that you were able to kind of shift and how you were thinking that like freed you from like that guilt and that fear that you spoke to? Like, were there like some thoughts you had to rework or some understanding of kind of, yeah, your identity or like just the, the fear of like, can I do this? Am I a business owner? Like what were some of those for you? Yeah. So a lot of it was just learning to put yourself out there, right. To be Mm -hmm. like a little bit vulnerable because it's so scary and it's so hard and you want to seem like you have all the answers. And sometimes it's okay to say like, I don't have the answers. Right. Mm -hmm. And especially when you have like a product line, that's not really your role, right. It's not like you're like projecting a brand and your job is just to kind of have this like pretty brand. Right. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and there's less, it's not like with, you know, like when you see people that are like coaches or whatever, mm-hmm. like you really reveal your personality. And yeah. so I think that there was a little bit 
of like rethinking how I was putting myself out there and just making myself a little bit more vulnerable, like sharing my own story a little bit and Mm -hmm. finding ways to connect with people, connect with customers and connect with other people Mm -hmm. that were doing the same thing that I was doing. And as far as like defining myself, I mean, it's still something that I see people struggle with all the time that Mm -hmm. like mom working mom thing, right? It's so hard. And I think Mm -hmm. that just knowing that other people felt the same way that I did Mm-hmm. was half the battle, right? Mm-hmm. Because realizing that you're not alone in this, yeah. that everybody feels this way, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just like coming to terms with like imposter syndrome, like I felt huge imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I was not a graph and, you know, especially as someone that's like a lawyer where you study this like highly specialized career, you're a professional, right? You're like, yeah. here's my accolade. Mm-hmm. I took the bar exam, passed the bar exam. I'm a practicing attorney. And then to then be like, well, now what am I? I'm, I'm a fraud. I don't have a graphic design background, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, so there was a lot of that mm-hmm. that I had to like work through and unpack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And sh- seeing like, oh, okay, these things, because you weren't necessarily like, yeah, having to be a coach in that moment or anything like that. So I think a lot of people that have product lines, maybe convince themselves they don't have to work through this, but, and I would be curious your thoughts on this, but like my kind of understanding and what I see like in my creative clients and just kind of looking around the web is if you haven't dealt with that, it shows up in how you show up. Is that something you've seen as well? Yes. I'm here nodding because yes, exactly. 100%. And that's like where I found myself Mm -hmm. because then I like was so rushed. I, I was so achievement oriented, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's just my background, right? Yeah. And that's the way that I am. And mm-hmm. I was like, so like in a rush to really make like six figures. Cause I was going to yeah. feel like I had proved it to myself and then I did it mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, well now what? And I had this huge like success hangover yeah. and I was like, I don't know if I can, keep working that hard to achieve what, what am I going to achieve next? you know? Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. I kept like moving the goalpost and thinking, well, maybe this, maybe that. Mm-hmm. And then, and it just, there was no right answer. Right. I just had to like go within and ask myself like, why am I so achievement oriented? Mm-hmm. What am I hoping to accomplish from achieving yeah. these things? Right. Mm-hmm. And how can I like move past that? Mm-hmm. Where am I feeling like I'm lacking that mm-hmm. I'm like trying to, work through with my business achievements, you know? Yeah, definitely not setting your like goals out of that like identity space, but just letting your identity be. And then still, it's not bad to have goals or like move your business forward if it aligns with you. But if it doesn't, then being okay with like, I'm a six figure business owner and I don't need to make seven right now. Maybe, right. maybe seven will be at this stage or maybe seven's right now. Like it's kind yeah. of, it's not one size fits all. Exactly. And then it's so funny because I found myself connecting with other female entrepreneurs. Like I would reach mm-hmm. out to people and I finally started like doing that. I had been so scared to do it because I felt like who would want to hang out with me? I'm a fraud business woman, you know? And, and so I wasn't putting myself out there in that way. Mm-hmm. And then once mm-hmm. I kind of got a handle on that feeling and where it was coming from, I found myself like connecting with other business owners and realizing that they actually all felt the same exact way that I felt, right? Like nobody felt like nobody had it together. Yeah. Like nobody was their Instagram account, right? And then another thing that I noticed was that all the women that I was talking to had started like 
seeing coaches, right? Mm -hmm. Like it became really evident that we all had these things to work through. Like the women that were like in similar success situations as me, Mm -hmm. right? Where they had Mm -hmm. four six figure business owners that you thought would be great. And then I found that they were all, you know, it was like, they all called it different things. Like I remember some people said, oh, I just started seeing a spiritual coach. And then someone Mm -hmm. else was like, I started seeing a life coach and someone else, a business coach, like whatever it was that you called it, like we all clearly were in the same position. Right. And we all clearly had stuff that we had to work through Mm -hmm. that was affecting the way that we were showing up. Right. Because Mm -hmm. when you're scared to make yourself vulnerable, then you find yourself like posting on Instagram and deleting it. You find yourself running away from people that want to buy your product. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you find yourself making it really hard for people to pay you to work with you, whatever it is, you are like, projecting this energy that's a repellent. Yeah. Well, and a lot of creatives get busy. Like that's how they repel growth. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that a couple of times on the podcast that like busy isn't productive and busy often allows us to distance ourselves from our fear. So we will say, well, I'm doing everything and I'm doing everything I should and everything I need to do. And I'm not making sales. And recognizing that sometimes busyness is your way of not actually putting yourself out, failing, and then learning from that and going again. So it's like very easy to be busy and not be rejected because you never put yourself out there. Yeah. So true. It's it's like a a crutch, you know, Mm -hmm. like under this guise of productivity, we're making ourselves crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All we're telling ourselves is that like, we're not enough, right? You're not enough. You're not enough. Yeah. People get mm-hmm. busier, get busier. You're not making enough. You're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. You're not enough of this, enough of that. And, and you're really like seeking that elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you, at this stage in your business, um, where you've said like, you're kind of doing it in the cracks, um, how do you kind of hold your time and energy? Like, do you have strategies for kind of keeping yourself in check, looking at your time? What are some of those things that work really good right now? So I have, I have set business hours and I've gone mm-hmm. through obviously stages where it's a little bit of some, you know, I just had a, a, my baby's like a year and a half now, my youngest mm-hmm. one. So, so he just started school this semester in January. Mm-hmm. That's a huge difference, right? So yeah. I try to maintain like the 8.30 to 3.30 hours. Mm-hmm. There's always something that comes along, like a day that they're homesick, a day that they don't have school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a day where it's like they have a, an assembly in the morning that I have to attend and then I lose half a day of work. You know, yeah. there's always something. So the, closer, the closest that I can stick to those 8.30 to 3.30 hours every mm-hmm. day the better it is for me because then it allows me to have a lot of space, you know, space for things to go wrong and space Mm -hmm. for a little bit of like extra time worked into it. So I try to do that. And then I really try like when I I used to not so much when I just had one, but now that I have two, it's just crucial to just disconnect once I'm with Mm -hmm. them because it makes you such an angry mom to try to work and mom at the same time. And it's so unfair to them, you know? Because you're just like, be quiet. I got to send out this email or like, mm-hmm. you know, just play, play with this for five minutes, you know, and they're not. And then you're like, why can't you just, and it's like, well, because you're three and one and a half. That's why. 
So sure, you can watch another show. Like then I can get this other thing. And not that shows are bad. I was like, I wish my kids could sit and watch a show. I I have a one and a half year old, so we're not at that stage yet. But yes, exactly. And then you end up frustrated. You end up like Mm -hmm. running yourself down and Mm -hmm. not being any more productive, right? Because what takes you two hours with a kid Mm -hmm. is like takes you five minutes when there is no kid around, you know? So when you don't absolutely have to, I think that like Mm -hmm. the more that you can really go all in on whatever Mm -hmm. kind of time you have, I call it like focus time and then green time, like off time. That's like how I think about it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm like in flow, I try to stay there. You know, I try to match everything that I have to do, send out emails all at once, Mm -hmm. take a break, do whatever else I have to do, go back to that. Have like blocked scheduling pretty much. And, and then when I'm not, when I'm with my kids, I try to even be out of the house because yeah. if I'm at home, I'm going to want to be hopping onto the computer, checking mm-hmm. my email. And the fact that I'm not doing it is like in the back of my head, stressing me out. Yeah. So you don't of- know that that's where you need to be to be the person you want to be. Okay. So you've built this business and you've been doing it for a while and you've probably gone through different things. Are you running this by yourself? Do you have a team? How does that work for you at this point? I run it by myself and I love that because Mm -hmm. it just like right now my, my life is with two little kids is like a little bit crazy and Mm -hmm. like I I all hire people for like certain projects. Mm -hmm. And so like, for example, like I hired a graphic designer to work with me on this one project that I had that was great. An independent contractor. Now I am hiring a VA to do my Pinterest, like just pinning. That's great. Last Mm -hmm. semester I had an intern that was like helping me a little bit with like social media. I'm a huge control freak and that is a major problem for me, right? Like I know that this is like high on my list of things that I have to work on about myself. Mm -hmm. But also I find that like delegating takes Mm -hmm. so much more manpower than I have, like so much more brain power. Mm -hmm. um, So I think it's just been a matter of like, slowly easing into Mm -hmm. it and like dipping my toes in these outsourcing waters Mm -hmm. and figuring out how to best communicate with people on projects and how to really come up with a system that they can follow. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's hard. People think like outsourcing is going to solve all your problems and it doesn't really, if you're not doing it right, it's a big headache, you know? It's a massive headache. Yeah. you know, you know, I do business management for some of my creative clients. And one of the things I say, like, before we continue outsourcing and or start, depending on where they're at when they start working with me, is we have to really look at, like, what is their mission and what are those processes? And that means actually breaking them down. So, like, sitting on the computer with me where I'm like, okay, and then what do you do next? And then what's important to you in that space? Like it's going through and why do you do it that way? So that when your person goes through it, they not only have like a checklist, but they actually understand like that if then kind of decision tree, Um, because I think a lot of us don't realize that we hold that in our head for our business. And so when we give a contractor work to do, I think a lot of frustration can happen when they don't do the if-then questions in the way that we would. And it leads to a lot of dysfunctional teams and frustration and lost time and money. Um, And so, yeah, uh, that is- And training and onboarding someone is Mm -hmm. hard. It's hard for you. You want to do that once, you know? You want to find like a good fit and do that 
Uh-huh. Plus, it's like an ongoing process, you know? So mm-hmm. if you have to like constantly be retraining somebody, it's hard. It is. Yeah. And especially I think if you don't have someone doing that, like business management, like, or project management for you, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, business owners get to the place where they're like, I want to just have that one kind of go-to person that then Mm -hmm. takes my mission and vision and my systems. And they're the one that does the like rotating staff management. Um, Because yeah, as a CEO, you can't be like, yes, you'll know your team and you'll value them, but you're like, I can't when Betty Sue's aunt falls and she has to stop doing this because she has to go take care of her aunt for the next six months. You can't slow down and figure out like that next step. So to have someone in the middle, I think for a lot of creatives at your level really helps. It helps not have you slow and start. Um, yeah. because well, now you're like, selling me on hiring somebody. I'm like, that sounds great. You can talk to me about this later because <laughs> I do do that. Like where it's just like, let me manage your team. And then you only have to connect with me, not mm-hmm. everyone else. So yeah, it, it is, it, I, I've seen that work a lot better because yeah, hiring mm-hmm. VA after contractor, after graphic designer, X, Y, or Z, um, Stamper, you know, like whatever it is, it's like, oh gosh. And it's all those personalities. Um, so you have to have that person in place that like Mm -hmm. knows how to manage. This is how the owner creative works, but then how do I transfer it to this person whose brain works totally different, neither good nor bad, but just different than the owner. What I've tried to do is I, I do like outsource everything that I possibly can. Yes. You know, like, so printing, all outsource. Yeah. Stuff in my house. Cleaning, yep. housekeeping. Yeah. Um, that is like not my zone of genius. Meal delivery. I do not like particular, I do not particularly like cooking. I get my meals delivered. All that kind of stuff, you know, yep. is, is where I, I really where try you've... to make my life like easy so that I can do all the work that I need to do, you know? I love it. Yeah. And being able to be like, this is not my zone of genius. Yeah. And I will release exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. So a couple of things kind of, because I do like to respect people's time and energy and, you know, we only have so long to listen. So let's say there is someone listening and they're like, okay, I have an Etsy shop. I'm doing it. I've started. I've done the just started thing and I get like the logistics of it. What piece of advice or maybe encouragement would you give to them when they are in that runways phase? You and I were talking about this before we jumped on the air that unfortunately, I think because we get online and we start jumping into this entrepreneurial world and everyone around us is trying to sell us something because that's what we do and that's fine. Like I try to sell people stuff. You try to sell people. That's fine. It's not slimy. But one of the sales tactics is we forget to mention the runway. So let's say someone's on that runway. They're you when you're in that first year, year and a half where things are building, but it's still bumpy. What piece of yeah advice or encouragement might you give to someone in that runway stage? So I think part of it is just really believing that you're going to get there, right? Because that's mm-hmm. a huge part of it. If you're constantly telling yourself, this is not going to work, I'm not going to get there. You're not going to get there because yeah. that's what you're telling yourself. You're sabotaging yourself in all kinds of ways that you might not even be realizing. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to really interfere with 
your ability to take your business to the next level. Yeah. The other one is that just patience, right? And trust mm. that it's going to work out because mm-hmm. like we were talking about, like I had fairly quick success, right? I mm-hmm. was up and running and was like a six figure business by like a year and a half. Yeah. And that's still like year and a half. Like that was yeah. like 18 months. That's a lot. I have an 18 month old now. I'm like, these have been a long 18 months. Like, and it felt the same way when I was like starting my mm-hmm. business and like getting it up and running. So at the beginning, I mean, I, as long as you can see like an upward like trend, mm-hmm. you can bank on that for hope, you yeah. know, because mm-hmm. you'll get there eventually. It's just yeah. a matter of like keeping, like continuing to put in the work, being mm-hmm. consistent and, yeah. and keeping yourself honest right? Honest that this is what you really want Mm -hmm. and figuring Mm -hmm. out how you really are going to get there. Yeah. And the second point that I want to make, I was like, actually just thinking about this before the podcast is hate to see people relying on external validation for their Mm -hmm. dreams. And it drives me crazy. And I see so many people jumping into groups of like 45,000 people and asking for advice. Yeah. Don't do that. Because you're going to get so much different advice and then you end mm-hmm. up so confused. Yeah. And like, I started coaching over the summer, was like, I want to be in coaching and I want to do a course and whatever. And I asked, like, you know, I was like, oh, the first time I did this all wrong, the first time I just started, but this time I'm a seasoned business owner and I know so much better. I'm going to ask people mm-hmm. and I'm going to get all kinds of opinions and then mm-hmm. I'm going to do this all right. And do you know what that did? It gave me like the world's biggest thought knot that took me forever to unravel Mm -hmm. because I started off like with a really clear idea of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to get there. And by the end, I was so confused and just had no idea what Mm -hmm. I was going to do. And then it took me months to work, to back up out of that space that I had Mm -hmm. gotten myself into. And I see people there like that all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. what should I probably, you know? what should I sell? And then one person says, you should sell this and you should sell that. You know, I had people that said, well, you know, what you should do is like really focus on your law background and sell like legal templates. That's what people need. Like, okay. Then somebody else, no, what you should really do is like sell a course on how to sell on Etsy and someone else, you know, it's like everybody Mm -hmm. had a different opinion. Yeah. Oh, like trying to like listen. And then every time that I would be like, oh, perfect. This is what I'm going to do. Then I would have like Mm -hmm. another opinion come in. And, mm-hmm. and then it takes you a while to just realize like, okay, I'm not going to give these, I'm going to give these, not to say no weight, but I'm going to give these the weight that they're due, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my spouse, my mom, my business coach, mm-hmm. no. All right, then I'm going to make my own decisions, you know? And at the end of the day, you have to do what feels right to you. Yeah. That intuition piece. One of the things we talk about on the podcast a lot, and I talk about with my one-on-one coaching clients or the clients going through intenses is that intuition is valid. It is scientifically proven and Mm -hmm. it is a valid factor to factor into your decision making. So those gut responses that you have when you're first forming things and you're thinking through stuff, that's actually valid. It's not emotional and it's not unwise and it's not Um, spontaneous or like not thought through or whatever term that you've labeled yourself as, it's not that. It actually is, you have to listen to it. Now, it's not the only factor, but it is a really strong and powerful one. And I think, you know, I've been stuck in a thought not to sometimes. Um, I had to go through something. I 
hired a coach. I had a successful business. I had done it really well. I think you and I have a similar background where it's like we build a business. It's super successful. It kind of just happens with some consistency and some intentionality and not knowing that people fail. I think I knew it in the back of my mind. I just never really assumed it would happen to me. And so I built a really successful business that way. And then the next one, I was like, I'm going to do it differently, just like you. And I hired a coach and it was like, it took me about a year to unwork all of the confusion and the unnecessary movement. And it really has only been in the last six months. And I kept building my business. It wasn't that things weren't moving forward, but it wasn't until I was like, let me get rid of all of that. Like you have to have a website, you have to have this, you have to have that. And I was like, yes, I did have those in my last business, but when they made sense. Yes. And secondly, none of them led to sales. Like yeah. they were important components of a presence, but they were not a sales driver. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I love your advice of like, yeah, hang out in those communities. Know you're not alone. But if you have questions, then find someone that mm-hmm. you can trust. Probably you're going to pay them. Find yes. someone that you can afford. <laughs> exactly. There's coaches at every single price point. A hundred percent. So find someone you can afford. Don't buy into someone that tells you to put it all on their credit card. Because that's no something for that. There's no need. Find someone you can afford. Ask a coach you want to work with. Like, is there a way I can do a single strategy session with you? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not on their website, but if you're like, this is literally what I can afford, they might go, okay, we can work with that. Mm-hmm. And then start taking action. You can't make any progress if you just keep collecting data and information. Yes. I think that happens a lot. I know. I know. And we do that. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, like, oh, no, let me validate this idea. Let me just hop on one mm-hmm. more call. And then sometimes it's helpful. And, but like the majority of the time, it's really not. Yeah. It's not. It's true. And it's then true. sometimes you end up building, you know, maybe you end up building a successful business, but if it's not true to you and what you actually want to be doing, you can't just build a business because there's a market there, right? Yes. It needs mm-hmm. to be a market that you are interested in tapping into. Mm-hmm. And that can make you money too. Exactly. You there, know, I mean, there, there are the three elements, mm-hmm. right? It's like you mm-hmm. have to sell something that you want to mm-hmm. sell, yep. that people want to buy, and that people want to pay you money for. Exactly. And all of those things are highly important. And I think is a place where we can go long. I have lots mm-hmm. of episodes about that. But okay, so as we wrap up, this has been so good and so, so, so very, very healthy. I wanted to ask you this. What is something that you do to practice keeping kind of creativity, not just for the process of making money, but just keeping yourself creative? Like, is there a way that you practice creativity in your life or kind of that keeps you creative? So my last coach, we did a bunch of research on like the, I mean, she did and then passed it on to me, but I'm like you, right? I like, like, I have like a logical brain. I want to hear why this works. I love the why of things, you know? So she was like, you need to play every day, right? You need Mm -hmm. to keep yourself in order Mm -hmm. to keep yourself creative, especially as a creative. Mm -hmm. So I've done since then. And I also have kids. So there's like so much research on like 
play-based learning. And it's so mm-hmm. much easier to learn that way when you make it fun. It's like the yeah. same reason why it's so much easier. Like, for example, I taught myself Photoshop by doing it. Yeah. I had sat there and watched videos on how to do Photoshop mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would be there forever. I would still be there learning because there would be no way to do it without the practicing and the playing around in there. Mm-hmm. So I try to tell myself, I try to like detach from the outcome, right? And mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. let me just play yeah. for an hour. Like I'm just going to sit and play with designs. I'm going to sit and play and be creative. I'm not going to worry about mm-hmm. what's going to sell. I'm not going to worry about what, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. There's a time and a place for that. Right now, I just want to sit and just decompress and yeah. let myself have fun. I it's love that. A lot of what you lose mm-hmm. when you make your creative business your business. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. also kind of like forget what made you want to do it in the first place. Yeah. Like I'll go into blocks where I'm like, oh, I don't want to design anything, you know? Mm-hmm. And then a day will come along where I'm like, oh, all I want to do is design. Like I, yeah. it's so fun for me. It's so fun to yeah. play. And it's so fun to have that creative mm-hmm. outlet. And then that's when you realize that you're like on the right track with your business, right? Yeah. When like what you want to do for fun and what you want to do for yeah. your living is mm-hmm. overlapping. For sure. For sure. I love the idea of like detaching from the outcome and just allowing yourself to play because you're right. That is for so many creative business owners, like one of the biggest things that trips them up and it leads to burnout, leads to unhealthy business practices that don't result in profit. So I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find you if they want to see all of your beautiful work and see what you're doing? Thank you so much for having me. So I have my website, www.casaconfettishop.com. And then I also have my Instagram at Casa Confetti Shop and you can find me there. And then I have my own website for my coaching. That's mm-hmm. www.gabbyabrams.com. Awesome. For coaching and mindset stuff. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. We will Again. put all of those in the Perfect. show notes. So if you guys are driving and you're like, I don't know what those are, go look in the show notes. They're there. Have a great day, guys. Go thrive. Make sure you go play today. Detach yourselves from some outcomes, and I will talk to you all soon. Bye. Thank you again. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I really appreciate you for being a part of the movement that this show is built upon, which is liberating creatives and artists from their feast or famine cycle so that they become creatives who consistently make money doing what they love without the hustle, bustle, and burnout that has sadly become common for too many building creative businesses. You are amazing for going against the status quo and choosing to be a creative who is defined by thriving instead of how many things you have to do on your to-do list today. If you haven't joined the movement yet, simply review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and share your review on Instagram stories. By sharing and reviewing, you are helping way more creatives learn it is possible to make consistent money doing what you love without having to constantly hustle and struggle. Together, we can change the landscape of being a creative and build the world we want for generations of creatives to come. You are such a huge part of what we are doing here, and I'm so grateful for you. I will talk to you soon.